back to another night at the round table. My name is Derek Hayes. Tonight, we are joined by a guest, but first, gentlemen, introduce yourselves. Hey, I'm David Flora from the Blurry Photos Podcast. And I'm Justin Zinger from the Zingness Podcast. And she is a doctor of philosophy and literature, as well as the writer and host of Monstrum on PBS. Please welcome our very first guest to the roundtable, Dr. Emily Zarka. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming aboard. Uh, I'm pretty excited to have you here because I've been a, you know, a fan of your, your show for at least a year now. And some of the stuff you cover, I, I can't find anywhere else. So I just kind of eat it up. Oh, thank you so much. That makes my heart sing. I'm happy that you're watching. Thank you. How about, can you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the show and about yourself some? Absolutely. So the show is called Monstrum. It airs on PBS's YouTube channel Storied. And essentially, I approach human history as monster history. So using monsters and their background as a way to talk about more complex topics than maybe you would expect. Because I found that people are more willing to get into like some of the nitty gritty stuff if I portray it as something spooky and strange first. Very cool. And you're not only covering uh, cryptids, you're covering uh, mythology. It's yeah. like a wide swath of, of monsters, really, isn't it? Yeah. So each episode focuses on one particular monster, and I trace its roots through time and place to try to figure out not only why that particular creature looks and acts the way it does, but why people felt the need to invent it in the first place. So I end up yeah, diving into things like science and politics and art um, and mythology in addition to the monster itself. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in the show, what kind of monsters you end up covering? Uh, what, what, what are some examples of some of your favorites? Some of my favorites. That's a hard one. So we cover pretty much everything from around the globe. We try to do our best to make sure we're portraying monsters from all over the world in different time periods. But some of my favorites so far have been the flesh-eating Wendigo monster of Algonquian mm -hmm. folklore. Um, I also really enjoyed the Filipino Mononongal who doesn't love a disembodied, you know, woman with bat wings flying around. And excitingly, we actually are finally tackling zombies, which are a subject very near and dear to my heart. Well, it just so happens. David, what are we watching this week? Well, this week we have picked uh, The Serpent and the Rainbow, which is a classic. Um, I guess it's you can consider it classic now, but it's probably jumping the gun a little bit, one of the better zombie movies out there because it really draws from actual uh, lore, uh, especially the Haitian uh, voodoo and voodoo. And it also, it portrays the stuff without being over the top like Night of the Living Dead. And we thought it'd be great to talk to Dr. Zarka about this uh, because uh, Dr. Zarka, you are featuring uh, zombies this month. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. So we have a three-part series running on Monstrum on our YouTube channel right now, separating the zombies into Haitian voodoo zombies, Romero zombies, and what I'm calling pandemic zombies. And all of that leads up to Exhumed, a history of zombies, which will premiere Friday, October 30th on PBS. In fact, we have a trailer. Let's cut to that right now. When you hear zombie, do you think of shambling, flesh-eating corpses, or maybe violent, infected humans? I'm Dr. Emily Zarka, and I'm a monster expert. Americana is steeped in zombie lore. And we clearly had an appetite for these kinds of stories. By diving into the historical creatures we fear, we can learn a lot about ourselves. Exhumed, a history of zombies, Friday, October 30th, only on PBS. I can't wait to watch that. I, I saw the first one so far, and... Uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good stuff. Thank you so much. It took it's a labor of love and a lot of people were integral in the process. So I'm, oh, just I'm fortunate sure. I get the chance yeah. to tell the story. It looks like there's a lot going into it. You know, storytelling. The visuals there's, are there's, amazing. Uh, visuals. Yeah. It's, it's really a, an experience. Yeah, Thank they are. you. So gentlemen uh, and, and ma'am, uh, <laughs> I'm sure ma'am is not the, the correct. That's fine. <laughs> Somebody that's much younger than I am. Um <laughs> We watched this film. What were you guys' initial thoughts on this? What stuck out to you that, uh, besides the 
the obvious scene. There was probably an obvious scene that stuck out to a handful of us, but <laughs> we'll get to that here in a little bit. Uh, as an overall, what, what did this movie say to you? And, and Dr. Z, we'll start with you as our guest. Uh, so uh, this might be a controversial opinion, but I don't think it did a great job of showing Haitian voodoo accurately, at least from what I understand. Um, but I will say that I came into it with probably a little bit of a biased perspective since some of the voodoo and voodoo practitioners I actually talked to all said that they didn't feel it was an accurate representation. So I think that was already in my mind a little bit, but it's definitely unique for a zombie movie. Well, it's hard to believe a Wes Craven movie from 1988 wouldn't depict something accurately, but <laughs> I feel like this movie was fueled by uh, money and probably cocaine. There was yeah. a lot more in 1988, than, but a lot more than uh, zombie dust they were blowing around. <laughs> fueled by good intentions, but yeah, some intentions anyway. <laughs> some intentions, yeah. yeah. It, it, it was. I'll just jump in real quick. I thought it was enjoyable. I remember watching this as a kid. I was probably maybe ten or something when I watched this. I shouldn't have watched this when I was 10, but I did. I watched all kinds of stuff when I was 10 that I shouldn't have. Um, but it, it kind of held up for me. I, I, it scared me when I was a kid. It terrified me. Uh, you know, snakes jumping out of skeletons, that sort of thing. Uh, just the idea of zombies. And anytime right. you put that label based on a true story mm-hmm. on any film like this, that just adds an element of nightmare that you can't calculate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I rewatched it, I kind of laughed at myself a little bit because of the stuff that I was afraid of, but at the same time, I could understand why I had those feelings. There were some jump scares and some spooky imagery in this mm-hmm. that uh, really, you know, kind of lasts throughout the decades. Uh, Justin and, and Zinger, what did you guys think? Oh, wow. I'm two people now. Cool. Um, <laughs> or, sorry, David. And um, it's been a it, long it year, has guys. been a, a long year. Um, so when you originally messaged us with this, my reaction, I think I actually put it in the text was, I thought this was like something about like Norse mythology or something. Cause I was like, Oh, serpent and the rainbow, uh, Bifrost and Yarmungandr. Oh, and then it's like, <laughs> no, it's really not. So I had no clue going into this. I mentioned it to my co-host and lovely fiance Ellie that I was going to be watching this. And she just laughed and went, okay, have a fun time. I'm like, have you seen it? She goes years ago, you'll enjoy it. I watched this. I <laughs> was very confused for a lot of it because I just don't understand how Bill Pullman went from his all-star role as um, the lead in Spaceballs to following it up with this. <laughs> I was very confused what, what Lone Star was doing in this movie. And if you think you're confused, try being 10 years old I, and having this I, I agree, but um, I think we missed out on a great opportunity from Bill Pullman for just being a... he He's a good screamer in this movie, because I think that's most of his lines of dialogue is just him screaming in response to stuff. I had no clue going into this what I was getting into. I watched it. I had no clue what I had just watched. And then I informed myself by, one, watching the uh, origin of zombies from Haiti... Uh, on Monstrum, and 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 also informed myself by listening to an episode forty eight of a podcast called Blurry Photos to help inform my oh, opinion of this. And I do agree that from what um, your video said, uh, Doctor Z, and what Blurry Photos um, David said years ago now, um, this is not a good depiction of what the of what the like. It's it's a depiction of the pop culture of Haitian zombies, not the actual voodoo or voodoo. And I'm sorry, I'm going to mix those up and I'm going to look like an idiot. So I'm just going to say them quick and then move on to David. Yeah. Um, I had always heard about this, uh, movie and never, never come across it until I started doing the podcast. And, um, we did that episode a while back, but I never, I didn't watch it then. So I was glad to have the opportunity to watch it now. And I thought compared <laughs> And this is where I, I um, am going to come back and, and say what I said before. I, comparatively to uh, all the other zombie movies out there, I feel like this at least gives you some uh, idea of what the actual culture um, has in terms of, of the rights and stuff. Now, there aren't any um, spooky spirits that are flying out of jars when you bust them open. I've, you know yet to see that in real life but um in terms of between this and like like we were saying the romero zombies and things like that walking dead even 
Um, I, I feel like you're not going to learn the the correct folklore from this, but it's going to be better than just um, a disease that takes over people and then everybody climbs up walls and eats each other. Um, <laughs> that's that's my re caveat, but um, I, I I thought it was a uh, pretty well done. I I liked Wes I like Wes Craven movies in general. I think he knows you know what he's doing with with stuff. Now it could have been a little better, and we couldn't. We're we're probably going to get into that a little bit, but uh, I think that the the effects were uh, pretty great uh, in it. I was surprised with how yeah. kind of it, it kept me engaged. Uh, and I, I didn't say this before. It's uh, from 1988. Um, so, you know, stuff that's dated, it didn't bother me that much uh, for it. And I thought Bill Pullman was, was, uh, did, a, did a good job in it. And so I, going into it, I, I didn't expect a lot. And I think that this exceeded those expectations, which isn't saying a lot. But uh, uh, Oh, I didn't, uh, I didn't really summarize it, though. Um, Bill Pullman is an um, anthropologist who goes to Haiti to, was it, he he was trying to find this um, toxin, this powder that they had heard, this medical company, I think it was, had heard could uh, put someone in a trance, in a, in a, almost like death trance, right? And it, they were trying to find something that's better than anesthesia, for patients in a, in America who were dying, you know, of, of anesthetic, um, well, reactions, uh, while they were having surgeries and things. So they were, that's the whole premise. He goes down there to kind of find this and then he gets in all sorts of uh, trouble and adventures and stuff and then comes home with it and then goes back (laughs) for the woman, for the woman, for the woman. Yeah. I, I, I jotted down the note. Um, that it, this thing could be titled Serpent in the Rainbow, a.k.a. Zombie for Love. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it, was, it wasn't bad. I'm, I'm uh, excited to get your all's takes on it. This is a good time to piggyback. And Dr. Z, I'm hoping you can help us out with this. Uh, this is based on a true story, I'm sure loosely. And yeah. I, I'm somewhat familiar with the story of, mm-hmm. I can't say his name, Claire Vias Narcisse. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. We were talking about yeah, it before we started just, recording. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so basically, do you want to tell that story? Do you do you mind? Do you know it well enough? Or I don't know if I know it too much about, it, but I can give a little bit of background sure. about. So yes, it is based on a book written by Wade Davis, who was a Harvard anthropologist and botanist, I believe, who, yes, did go to Haiti, not at the behest of any pharmaceutical <laughs> company, um, but to attempt to figure out what was being used to put people in this zombie state and essentially to prove if zombies were real or not. So that's kind of where the book came from. I actually was just reading in an interview. He hated the idea that actually the book would be turned into a movie and a horror movie, no less, but he said the money was too good to pass up. So he kind of went along with it, which I find interesting. But yeah, the first, um, what they're referring to is the case of a documented zombie Um, in Haiti. And I think it's worth pointing out that for a lot of Haitians, historically and even now, zombies and just voodoo and voodoo practitioners, zombies are a very real thing. So I think it's it's an interesting line to toe. But yeah, I don't know too much about the story of that first one that much. But I think, again, it's what I do know is that that man was 100% believed to be a zombie. Yeah. I can piggyback a bit on it. Or David, do you know, I know maybe you did an episode on it a while back. Do you a know bit. I mean, better? it's a lot like what's in the film uh, in a lot of ways where there was a guy who said, who was said to have died and they buried him. And then years later, they see him working on a plantation basically. And it was the same guy. And the story was that a, you know, practitioner um, blew some powder in his face and made him seem like he was dead raised him from the dead and then had him work for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's basically what uh, the, that book, the, the Davis book and uh, this subsequently film was based on. Now in my research that I did, which, which was maybe an hour of reading, uh, um, I read that his brother was actually suspected to be the one that actually zombified him. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the correct term. 
because he wouldn't share land that was left from his parents or something along those lines. And it almost seemed like they used the this uh, this zombie mm-hmm. uh, state of mind as a as a political tool. Is that something that's taking place down there, or is this just a folklore kind of situation? Yeah. I don't open a can of worms or anything, but it just seems like th- this is more of a tool for uh, massaging culture rather than. Uh, just simply, you know, acquiring slaves or something along those lines. I think that the idea that zombification in Haiti is a political tool is sort of a false narrative that's been sold to us um, as white Westerners, essentially, to try to make Haiti seem more demonized. I mean, don't get me wrong. Haiti has had problems and Mm -hmm. continues to have them like any other country in the world. But I think this, you know, sort of idea that like oh all these political leaders are pulling the strings of these you know voodoo priests and priestesses and making their political prisoners into zombies is ridiculous and i haven't found any evidence that would support that um but that being said i do think that from my understanding of haitian voodoo and voodoo is zombification is a means of control essentially So it's both a threat and also like a promise and it's a way to get people who maybe aren't in fully control of themselves, like into a state where they can be safe. It's safe for them and for the people around them. Okay. Uh, Cause you know, in the film, there's the, the, mm-hmm. the B story where uh, there's like political turmoil going on in yeah. Haiti. And I don't know what the guy's position was. I could probably mm-hmm. check real quick, but he was uh, trying to get Bill Pullman's character out of the country yeah. uh, for espionage region, reasons and all these other things. So there's a lot of, a lot going on there, and it certainly seemed political in the film. And then, yeah. you know, obviously I read that about our, our friend uh, Claire Vias, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun stuff. <laughs> fun stuff. So what can you tell us about uh, – you said that, that what you see in the film isn't necessarily a good yeah. representation. What, what do you see there that's different or, or what stuck out to you that – you're like, oh, this is this is way yeah. off. They would never do this. Well, I've had the privilege of going into both a voodoo priest um, church and religious space and then a voodoo priestess's um, temple. And one thing that always stands out to me, especially in this movie, is everything is like super dark and there's like very dramatic and it's shot in this way where you're supposed to be getting jump scares from some of the like religious items that they're using, which is <laughs> like something doves. that I feel like- <laughs> Yeah, which is something I always, I always try to ask myself. It's like, okay, how would I feel if Catholicism or Judaism was being portrayed this way? And if I'm like, eh, it seems a little off, then I'm like, there's something going on here. And that's what I felt about the movie. I know I took a note at one part at the end when they're, you know, fighting for Bill Pullman's soul. That there's just like a random pile of skulls yeah. in this religious space that catches which... on fire. By the way, yeah, they're flammable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got Which, all these, all those zombies working for him, and none of them clean up. Like apparently not one not. of them. <laughs> and just this idea that I think they reiterated this idea that voodoo is all about like death, and it's like a very death centric culture. Where the exact opposite, um, yeah. I feel like it's true. And f- again, from what I understand about how ancestors and the past are so important to voodoo and voodoo, that the idea of them having a pile of skulls, I, I think, would be incredibly disrespectful so, mm. for the religion. So I think I, that, yeah. I'll, anytime a religion is shot like a horror movie, I'm always like raising an eyebrow, like, oh, okay, we're <laughs> yeah. doing this. Yeah. I, okay, I, I've got to talk about this scene real quick because <laughs> there are two moments in this movie that made my skin crawl to no end. Uh, the first one was the needle in the eye, like under the eye. Mm-hmm. I, I can't oh, yeah. do eye stuff. Like, Oh gosh, I, yeah. I can't. So seeing that, like, I instantly was like, ah. And that's, like, within the first, like, two minutes of the movie. So I was like, oh, I really hope this is the worst this is going to get with that. For those that – sorry, Justin. For those that refuse to watch it, at the beginning you see this gentleman that's that's deceased. Uh, quote, unquote. Presumably deceased on the table. <laughs> and they're doing all these tests to see if he's dead. They put the mirror up to his, his mouth to see if it fogs up. And finally, they put a needle under the skin under his eye. And he doesn't move. Ah. And ooh, even as a kid, that terrified me. Like, ugh. Which I'm, I mean, I'm a PhD, not an MD, but I'm pretty sure that's not <laughs> what you do to test if someone's alive or not. <laughs> it would probably work, right? I, I, mean, I know it. I know it wouldn't work. I, I'd hate to have that happen and shoot up. Oh, also, I guess the third thing that kind of terrified me was the whole vision 
like from the body sitting there. Like I'm like, yeah. that would terrify me to be like sitting there in a undead state. So I'm using big quotation fingers and being mm-hmm. like, I'm able to see, I'm able to hear, but I'm not able to interact, yeah. especially when you're sitting there in a the moment where it's like, Oh, he's dead. And it's like, I'm yeah. not. Um, the other thing, this and, and the whole zombification thing within the premise of the movie, I'm going within within the premise and the rules of the movie, <laughs> is the zombie powder blown in the face. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm not trying to date this. I'm not trying to to bring up anything. But right 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 now, if someone coughs within a 20 foot radius of me, I like instantly like start to be like what so i couldn't imagine in this day and age having someone walk up and blow a thing of powder in my face like if i just happened to not have a mask on for that split second and be like what happened what go <laughs> sorry for the audio there but yeah i'd be coughing up chunks and stuff i i don't know it, it's just that, that that those scenes just made me just everything else the the zombie stuff the snakes the scorpion i was like ah whatever whatever but those scenes i was like ah <laughs> Well, you know, I, I thought you were going to talk about a completely different scene. Really? I'll be honest. <laughs> you, you're you're uh, going to yeah, really. I'm going to be like, ah, that was whatever. I don't care. <laughs> There's a couple There's of memorable the, ones here. How, how do I? How do I even? Uh, I, I'll just try this. Uh, so there's a scene where Bill Pullman is stopped by this Gestapo. I don't know what this guy is. Uh, he, he's in charge oh, of the somehow. Oh, that. Yeah. Okay. My Tells bad. him he needs to leave, you know, get out of our country kind of situation. And of course, he doesn't listen. And you know, a day later, two days later, he's caught again. And we see him strapped to this chair. That This chair comes up again later. <laughs> David's going <laughs> to yeah, have some does. fun with that. Uh, but he's strapped to this chair naked. And certain parts of his body are exposed. And as a form of punishment and intimidation, this uh, gentleman uses a nail and hammer and nails down a, a certain uh, part of the body that that he probably didn't want nailed down. Now, it wasn't the part I thought it was as a kid. I'll be honest <laughs> with you, because I didn't yeah. know what the word scrotum mount meant apparently yeah. when I was a kid, because I thought this was a different part. But this was jarring. Uh, even I'm 40 years old. I watched that 30 years ago. It was jarring then. It's jarring now. I, uh, anyone? I guess it was disagree? unclear when I was watching it, like what exactly they were hammering. And then later on, he said he was like intact but hurt. So I was like, oh, okay, he's fine, whatever. Well, he did hobble an awful lot. I don't. I don't. Dude, know. I hobble from sitting too long in a chair. <laughs> I guess that's true. That's that's. True. You got to remember in that situation, his character's like fresh faced twenty year old at this point. <laughs> he can take a lot more. <laughs> All, all us 40-year-olds sitting around here being like, oh, I, I hobble for nothing. Uh, yeah, I don't I need remember, my scrotum to be nailed was, to hobble. No, okay, yes. I forgot about that scene, Derek. My bad. My apologies. Well, we had to, we had to touch on it. It had to be I brought up. We figured one of raising. the other gentlemen would have brought that, that up at some point. Well, I thought, uh, so I thought to switch gears here because everybody's needing it. Please, um, please. I thought that... It was interesting when Bill Pullman was introduced, uh, he was in the Amazon and he, I'm pretty sure was doing ayahuasca, mm. right? So, and then, this and then he goes through like, this, yeah. uh, hallucinate, hallucinatory trip, um, where they had a really great bit where he's like wrestling with this tiny Jaguar <laughs> and then, and then the, uh, the medicine man, it shows him looking at him and Bill Pullman's just rolling around on the ground by himself. <laughs> That's a great bit. Like, uh, like I said, there anyways. were moments in this movie that I'm like, I feel like these are from a different movie. Like, I don't understand what's going on right yes. now. Um, yeah, it just says they went to yeah. the rainforest to study rare herbs and medicine from local shaman, which um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I kind of that kind of threw this whole weird turn on the movie to where like was this all still part of the hallucinations he had when he was in the Amazon is this some because Mm -hmm. uh, the one guy popped up in those hallucinations before even met him so I'm like is this one of those psychedelic trip movies that I'm just not drinking enough or not in the right amount of stuff to understand like that that was the other thing that caught me with this movie is once again I had no clue what I was yeah. getting into. And then once I got into it, I'm like, well, I'm too far into this to turn back. Better go forward. I think that's one of the problems I have also with the film. With the film is that it's like equating these different spiritual practices, like all together. Like you're right. He does a drug in one completely mm-hmm. different place in the world. 
and has some co- meets his jaguar <laughs> spirit guide and has prophetic visions and then all of a sudden he can still do that in Haiti. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems. I kind of, of took something else from that. It was more that this ceremony yeah. kind of opened him up. And that's what allowed him mm. to experience a lot of what he did in Haiti. Uh, hmm. it, it was that otherwise, why would they show that? It, it wasn't really character building, I wouldn't think, because he doesn't do ayahuasca throughout the entire film or True. wrestle with jaguars. Or, it, none of this stuff is really brought up again other than that terrible hologram of a jaguar at that one point. <laughs> but. It, it, almost to me, it's like his eyes were opened by doing that ceremony at the, the beginning of the film. And that's kind of, uh, he just kind of tumbles into everything else. Once you find yourself in that paranormal groove, so to speak, in the film, uh, yeah. well, well, you just kind of go with the flow. Well, Derek, if I may, they need to establish him as the um, go-get-it-done anthropologist, much like Indiana Jones. So they have yeah. to show him, because in every Indiana Jones movie, what do you have? You have him doing something at the beginning of the movie that is like, oh, he's so cool. So we have to show the anthropologist, I mean, yeah, the anthropologist doing the same mm-hmm. thing and being like, oh, he's so cool. That's true. That's true. He, well, it, it, it works. Yeah, I agree. I think they just wanted to be like, ooh, look, he's cool. <laughs> he'll do drugs. Like, he'll traipse around with these, like, locals. And, and play with the jaguar. <laughs> stupid. For an yeah. And he'll drink anything you give him. Too, <laughs> That's right. He didn't even question it. Yeah. God. On the hatch. Oh, boy. Uh, so, yeah, the, the technical aspects of the film, let's let's touch on that real quick before we move on. Uh, I thought that the effects were good. They were all mostly practical. There yeah. was some pretty terrible CGI in there that, uh, you know, pre, uh, pre computer CGI, uh, but the practical effects were pretty good. There's some snake work that, at one point, I think it was a glove that kind of grabs <laughs> him in the face, but it's a it's a snake <laughs> glove. Oh, you're are you that talking about kinda... the the classic snake from a corpse mouth trick? Yeah, yeah, All, that calls old, for that, that every time. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's Wes Craven, so you know you're going to be entertained for a horror film. I would love to see this remade. Uh, as a serious film, you know, not a drama necessarily, but some sort of psychological thriller. Uh, Jordan Peele, are you listening? Mm. Good call. Yeah, right. I would say I want to see it remade by someone of Haitian descent yeah. who actually knows about mm. the religions. That would, would be, be awesome. Yeah, agreed. I, I should point out that most of this film was actually shot in Haiti on location, which is uh, pretty rare from what I yeah. was able to read. I can't mm-hmm. think of a single other production that was brave enough to go shoot there Hmm. uh maybe it wasn't as bad i don't want to say it's bad but no i think that they were actually told that they couldn't guarantee their safety and they had to move to the dominican Hmm. republic oh really yeah because i mean this was a time when it was being filmed where a lot of the political issues i think the film is trying to touch on were like happening i mean there was political unrest so i don't think it was the safest place During Um, the production in Haiti, the local government informed the cast and crew that they could not guarantee the safety for the remainder of the film shooting uh, due to the shifting political strife and civil turmoil. So they relocated to the Dominican Republic and returned to shooting. Thank you, Wikipedia. (laughs) Well, thank you. Actually, no, I just knew that off the top of my head. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, you just knew it after Dr. Zarka said it. I was confirming it. But still, they did some shooting in Haiti, and that's a big yes. deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I liked the practical stuff. I thought the hand in the soup was a nice touch. Oh, I forgot about well that. Done. Yeah. Very Beetlejuice, which came out the same year, by the way. Mm-hmm. The stairs that yeah. he was dangling oh, really? off of. Huh. Uh, also very Beetlejuice. Uh, the snake, use of the snakes. So maybe it was the same... I should look into that. Maybe it was the same people, but they were both released in 1988. So interesting. Hmm. Okay. I had a hard time sometimes differentiating between what he was hallucinating or dreaming and what was actually happening. Yeah. That's the other thing that got me with this, because the one woman freaking out at the dinner who like comes at him with a knife. I'm like, would would that happen? Is that something to where someone is possessing somebody to make him like, I'm like, I don't right. get it. Like he got out of hate. Why are they trying to pull him back there? If- well, I think it was that, that yeah. government leader. That's also a practitioner of some sort was controlling her. I think that actually happened in my opinion. Um, I didn't write that was obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I think this was, yeah, I was supposed to be like, he was possessing her, which again, I don't. Yeah. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, is there anything else we need to touch on on the film side, guys? Before we open it up to zombies in general, I I tell you, 
I, I liked that squeaky chair that chased him out of the room. And I, I love how he like looked back and it was like, get out of here and then slam the door. <laughs> and then, and then it like, he holds a grudge against this chair at the end. He's like, hang on, I need to bust this chair up before we go. And then the chair is like, no, I'm going to help he was you. Setting on when he was nailed to the right. chair. Yes. Right. So he, he, him and this chair had history apparently. I think my favorite part, though, to follow that up was when the dude tore his own head off and threw it at him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Forgot <Great>. about that. <laughs> uh, um, so I, I'm, I'm not. OK, this is weird to say this is my favorite scene, but it caught me completely off guard where he woke up like on the beach in like that hut thing. Or, or I, I guess it was mm. a house. I'm mm. going to say it was a house. Um, yeah. To the decapitated woman beside him, and then the entire house exploding with police, like <laughs> coming into it, like Busted. oh my god! Like it, it was just one of those moments where I didn't expect. Like he wakes up, and I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, "Oh, there's a decapitated head," and then just the entire thing explodes with police, and I'm like, "What kind of sting operation is this?" Guy running in, taking pictures and everything. Also, um, my final note on yeah. this amazing facial hair from the one guy with like it was it a it was yeah. a mustache oh, yeah. and like a sideburns oh, yeah. goat like mm-hmm. I yeah I, I think someone's giving you a run for your money David. Oh yeah. Yeah mine's not nearly that aerodynamic. It was like glutton chops. I, I don't know I like even... it was like but they they were like weirdly on his face but connected to it. I'm like I, I can't describe <laughs> like you have to see it. So yeah. there I'm 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 through with with my bit of this. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, as we as we kind of finalize this, and before we move on to our next little segment, we're going to try to do here. Uh, would anybody recommend this film? If so, why? If not, why? Um, and Doctor Z, let's start off with you. What do you think? And actually, I want to ask you before we start: Have you ever seen this before? Did you watch this in any of your research? Has this come up at all? I did. I watched this and read the book. It was based on as part of my research for the Exhumed special. I think my, I would say it's worth watching if you're a fan of Craven, just to like make sure you're covering his whole sort of body of work. Um, also, I would recommend people watch it of what not to do and how to portray Haitians, Vodou, and women. <laughs> yeah. And that's my final thought. Very true. Uh- Justin, what do you think? Uh, I wasted $4 of Ellie's money to rent this. <laughs> so. Hey, it's no Meg. I'm sorry. I, hey, <laughs> I was. We watched the Meg. I, I like the Meg. There you go. Also, based I, on I a like- book series. This is based on a book. I have no interest in this book. I guess our trilogy of movies now is stuff based mm-hmm. on books that no one knows is based on a book. Because I did not know this was based on a book till mm-hmm. it said based on a book. And I'm like, do what now? Based on a book, true based story. On a true I story. wish it had had <laughs> based on true yeah. events at the beginning. I would if, if this had been made in like the mm-hmm. late nineties, early two thousands, it would have had a huge thing saying based on true events pop up, or Probably, inspired by yeah. true events, roughly maybe. It's more accurate, I think. Uh, David, would you recommend this film to anyone? I would say. Probably don't spend money on it, but if it's uh, streaming anywhere for free, it's worth a worth a look. Uh, if you don't have anything better to watch, um, and I agree with uh, Doctor Zarka, I think that it it would be so much better to be remade by people who really put the uh, the culture and the religion first. Um, I, I but I don't know if you could tell this particular story that way either, because this really relies heavily on a lot of pop culture and supernatural elements that just aren't there in the, the religion itself. So I don't know. It's a, it's kind of a 50 50 on that, but I thought it would, this, this was a fun watch for sure. And I guess I'll chime in lastly here. I would recommend it. I loved this movie as a kid. I still enjoyed it when I watched it yesterday. Uh, it's a little dry in parts, um, mostly because my attention spans <laughs> a lot shorter than it used to be. Uh, the, if you like Wes Craven, you have to watch this. This is a must and I'm a big Wes Craven fan. Uh, I love eighties horror. So this also falls in, but I also, uh, agree with what all three of you guys said. Uh, there's definitely some issues with this film that could be updated or uh, completely forgotten altogether, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's worth, I'd pay four bucks. I wouldn't pay it again to watch it, but I, I'm not <laughs> upset that I paid it. Let's put it that way. Three and a half stars. Wait, c- comparison. How, what, what would you give the mag? 
zero stars. All right, okay, so that's the highest we can go. Zero's the highest. Got it. Big stars. Bigger stars. Bigger stars. Oh, actually, David, was should anything been bigger in this movie? Or are you satisfied with the size? The snakes? Oh, snakes boy, the, the head explosion when he throws it? That could have been bigger. <laughs> Perfect. So now for the second half, uh, Dr. Z, we want to kind of poke your brain a little bit about zombies. We want to know more about uh, a little bit about the history, about some uh, some yeah. stories maybe that you may have. And I'm going to kick it off. I, I got I to gotta ask this question. It's been bugging me since we started. I did a little research, as I said, very little. And I read that in real life, uh, Dr. Davis, Davis. Wade mm-hmm. Davis, there it is. Uh, he uh, wrote down what the, the ingredients were. And it was something like a yeah. sea worm that stings, uh, some sort of poisonous toad, a poisonous frog, a puffer fish. Mm-hmm. And there was one other ingredient I can't remember. How accurate is that? Do you know anything about all, all this? Uh, all the ingredients that were listed? I, I do. Yes. Um, from what I understand, that when he brought back the reported samples, they did not have all of the ingredients he said they did. Um, so you can interpret that in a couple different ways, right? That could be either these Haitian people who gave them the powders, basically were just like what happens in the Serpent in the Rainbow movie, right? It's like, I'm not going to give you the real thing. Um, why would I do that? So, or that he just lied. Mm. Um, those are the kind of the two conclusions you can reach. But the voodoo and voodoo practitioners I talked to said that there is something that exists and that they will not share the recipe for it, um, mostly just for the safety of other people. Um, and some people argue that even that, yes, there are these toxic chemicals that can put people in this state where they appear dead but are not, and then they could wake up in some way. But you also could talk to uh, practitioners of voodoo and voodoo who would say that's only part of the equation, that there is a spiritual element. So without both things, you couldn't be zombified. Um, so in terms of the actual ingredients, I don't know, and I don't think I should know. <laughs> I think that there are certain people that should have that knowledge um, who have earned the right in those cultures, and I'm not one of them. That makes sense. Uh, I actually, in my research, might have discovered what one of those ingredients was. And of course, I didn't write it down because why would I do that? But there is a particular <laughs> flower that used to grow in East Africa. And uh, okay. <laughs> Dr. Davis uh, theorized that perhaps that some of the slaves from the early days brought mm-hmm. this plant over yeah. with them. And apparently this plant has the ability to, I guess, essentially kill people, but they wake up from it. Uh, that's the best mm-hmm. way to describe it. Like by, uh, by all appearance, this person's dead. They have no pulse. They have no heartbeat. Uh, I'm sure if you hooked them up to some sort of equipment, they probably would, but uh, just, just mm-hmm. by the human touch. And what I was reading that yeah. this may be the, the final element to this, um, and that's actually where the the name that they actually came up with a drug in the film tetrodoxin, I believe it was called. It's based yeah. on that flower. Tetrodotoxin. That's yeah. right. No, I mean I don't know about that particular flower, but in terms of some of the captured and enslaved Africans who came from Africa and were brought to Haiti, Haiti was the largest uh, slave center trade port basically in the transatlantic slave trade so there were a very large number of slaves who were brought through there and i do know that there are some of those captured people did absolutely bring some um seeds and like beans and things to to grow the food that they knew how to grow so that tracks he actually found the flowers uh, he found a whole field full of them over there in Haiti. So for him, that tied this all together. And this is, uh, I'll have to dig up the source and I'll throw it in the show notes so that everybody mm-hmm. can check this out on their on their own. But uh, it all seemed to tie together, at least, you know, in this telling of the story. And that's the way a lot of these stories work. There's all these loose ends are conveniently tied up. Uh, but I just was fascinated by this list of ingredients. Because if you look at each one individually, there's definitely some sort of effect that that, that would have mm-hmm. on a person. So you start mixing all this together and... Uh, I'm not a doctor by any means, but uh, it just kind of boggles the mind what all those poisons that would kill you alone would do mixed together, if that's Mm -hmm. how it works. I mean, I do think that's kind of part of where this fear is coming from, right? It's this idea that people in positions of power who, because for me, I don't think it's it's impossible to talk about zombies without talking about Mm -hmm. slavery, um, because they do 
result directly from West African diasporic spiritual practices. And Haiti became a breeding ground for all of that. And we have voodoo because of it. Um, but I think that that's part of it is people in positions of power who were largely white Europeans, especially at the time when this idea of the zombie was really emerging, were afraid that the people that they were trying to put down, the slaves, would have more knowledge about something other than themselves, mm. right? That it's this idea that they're, it's all about, I think zombies in particular, Haitian voodoo and voodoo zombies are about a lack of control, right? So it's that you, even in death, you're not in control of your own soul. So I think that that tracks through all um, zombie narratives. Would we even have uh, the knowledge and, and the culture of this religion uh, if they hadn't had the biggest um, slave uprising and, and you know, th casting away the, was it French colonists, yeah. I believe? Yep. The, mm -hmm. um, if they hadn't one basically dro driven the French out, like we might be talking about some kind of, more Catholic blend, would would you say? I think that the religion of Vodou would have existed one way or another, just without the revolution or not. But I do think that the demonization of Vodou and the portrayal of zombies originally in early Hollywood films and in travelogues brought back from um, both U.S. military personnel and journalists a lot of people, including myself, would argue that those accounts specifically demonized Vodou and Haitians because it was the site of the first um, successful slave revolt, really. So I think there's a lot of things going on with zombies. And one of the reasons why I love talking about them, because it's such a complex issue. And don't get me wrong, like there are undead <laughs> corpses all over the world in different kinds of folklore. But the zombie in particular is definitely a result of slavery that actually brings me to a question that I also wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. Where else can we find the traditional sense of the zombie? Uh, like uh, David and I were, were talking briefly before we jumped on here. We were talking about the, the Mississippi Delta, obviously, uh, you know, the Caribbean islands, uh, West Africa. I actually uh, accidentally said East Africa earlier, but I meant West Africa. Uh, is there any other places where this kind of thing exists? We were actually wondering about maybe Native American legends. Yeah. How are you? Are you how are you defining zombie? Do you mean like someone who's technically dead, but their soul has been stolen and can be controlled or sure. like reanimated corpses in general? Uh, well, let's start with reanimated corpses because that's where the bread and butter <laughs> is. Uh, it, but I'm interested in both actually. Yeah. So reanimated corpses appear anywhere where people bury their dead from my okay. knowledge. Makes sense. Um, so there's the Chinese Jiangxi, which is like a hopping vampire undead. There's woo. the Nordic Dragor, which is a woo, right, an ancient reanimated um, corpse from that particular. I mean, they're just everywhere. So I think that the idea of undead, in some way or another, appear because inherently we're afraid of what happens after death, and the undead force us to face that in a very corporeal way. Um, in terms of zombies as people who have had their souls stolen and are being controlled by someone else, I think a lot of other cultures might consider or religions consider that to be more like possession or soul stealing is something that is very prevalent in West African spiritual practices. So definitely it's there, as you mentioned. Um, I don't know enough about indigenous spiritual beliefs to say whether or not that they would they have something akin I, to I got zombie. a quick question just for kind of maybe stupid mm -hmm. clerical reasons here. Um, would, I, I mean, because we, we, we mentioned Draugr, which is, of course, from Norse mythology and everything. Mm -hmm. uh, would, mm -hmm. like, Frankenstein's monster and vampires <sighs> technically count as undead in the sense of there are something that was living that is now dead? Would those kind of mm -hmm. technically mm -hmm. be part of the undead category then? Oh, vampires 100% are part of the undead. So for me, the undead are, is, I'm sorry, I'm going to get a little wordy, is any tangible corporeal human body that was declared dead, legally dead and is mm. now reanimated. So vampires, mummies, dragors, zombies can all fit into that. Um, I will actually die on the hill that Frankenstein's creature is okay. not undead. 
because I think that since he was created through a mixture of both human and animal parts that had not existed in a singular body, I don't think he was alive before mm. um, Frankenstein awesome. created him. Ah, uh, but then you get into the, well, what is he at that point? Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the, I guess that's more yeah. uh, philosophical, but... Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just laughing because I'm literally teaching a post-humanism class right now, and we're talking about Frankenstein's creatures. Well, I just so. wanted nice. to point those out because I know that you have done videos on all those, which are very mm-hmm. interesting, and that's why I yeah. wanted to give a chance to kind of bring them up on here to discuss real quick. <laughs> well, thank you. No I problem. appreciate that. And th- we certainly have plans to do more undead um, mm-hmm. episodes of Monstrum, just... Undead's really what got me into monsters in the first place, and I wrote my dissertation about them, and they're very near and dear to my heart in so many ways. So the more undead episodes um, I can so, have, the so, better. So two more things. One, the cool thing about the Draugr that I never knew until I watched your video was the whole having to take out a wall <laughs> to take the body out of a house. Yeah, yeah. I did not door. know that. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to explain real quick, because you'll do a better job than I will, Dr. Z, of explaining what that <laughs> is, I guess. Yeah. So the corpse store in um, Nordic mythology or legend or folklore, I should say, was this idea that the dead, um, if they were reanimated like a Draugr, that they could find their way back home. And people did not want that to happen. It was like, you were dead. They want you to stay in your grave. And if, God forbid, you know, you do pop up again, that you don't come and essentially harass the living. Because that's the other big thing about the Draugr is that they're never nice to people. If that's murdering them or their livestock or that's just roof riding which essentially from what i can figure out is just them (laughs) jumping on the roof making a lot of noise which is apparently very annoying so the corpse store was something when a person died they would actually remove part of the side of the building in which the person died in and carry the corpse out that way and then seal it back up basically so the idea being that if the corpse did return it wouldn't be able to get inside the house because the door that it used to exit was no longer there not my final thing for this whole episode, but my other one I wanted to point out is I haven't watched this one, but you did one on the mm-hmm. Wendigo. That doesn't... Yes, the Wendigo. Mm-hmm. I, I've known some mythology, aren't they supposed to be dead that are still alive, but only mm-hmm. eat human flesh? Or is that just something I'm completely barking up the wrong tree? You're not completely off because I think it's been okay. misrepresented a lot. So my understanding of the Wendigo is not a dead human. Um, who's somehow reanimated and moving around. There's a couple different ways you can become a Wendigo, um, according to different indigenous uh, lore. But my understanding is you basically transform into something completely different that's no longer human. So dead or undead doesn't really apply. But I think that we, it's, I'm not surprised to hear that you think that the Wendigo is undead simply because beca- they are flesh eaters. Mm-hmm. That's one of their Mm. defining characteristics is we um, have taken that like the European or ideas right about vampires and werewolves and also zombies and sort of put it onto this other flesh eating um, body and loop them all together when we don't necessarily should be. (laughs) It's like our own to try to toxin in in our minds, in our culture. And everything's just kind of mixed together. So like the Wendigo in particular was only written down because of course all of the indigenous stories were told orally um, when basically European people came and started writing down the Wendigo legends. They got it to try to make, and this could be both ways, right? So it's like to try to make a connection with these people and understand their culture. They're like, oh, it kind of reminds us of the werewolf. Mm. But then you start adding maybe werewolf characteristics to it and the whole thing kind of gets muddled but you're right this is what we do in history history creates monsters and the wendigo that has strong ties to starvation and cannibalism isn't it absolutely Uh, Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i read (laughs) the the worst of humanity yeah i think the wendigo was really a a reminder for people that when it's cold and there's not a lot of food it's about cooperation, right? It's kind of promoting the idea that you should share your resources with others because if you don't, they might eat you and then become a Wendigo and kill a bunch more people. Well, it's almost like a cautionary tale in that way. Uh, You can extend that to zombieism in a way. I'm going to use my Mm -hmm. imagination here a bit, but uh, human, dead human bodies are something that the living should avoid for health reasons. 
Uh, you know, obviously mm-hmm. we've known this for thousands of years. That's why we've kind of adapted some of the uh, natural reactions we have to dead bodies. Um, mm-hmm. So it, I guess, is it a cautionary tale where you should just stay away from the dead? They could come back and get you. They could come back and, and I'm speaking more of the, the flesh eating yeah. style of zombies less than the Haitian zombies. But it, it, do you think there's anything there that it could be uh, something developed as a cautionary uh, story or is that me just making things up? No, I don't think you're that far off. I think especially certain kinds of zombies in certain stories are at, yeah, cautionary to stay away from dead bodies, stay away from graveyards, mm-hmm. stay away from a whole assortment of things. Um, but I think it's important to point out that some cultures don't feel that way, right? So for um, one example, right, would be Dia de los mm-hmm. Muertos is a celebration of the dead and you want to go and basically try to have a meal with them. So I think it really depends on the culture that's looking at the zombie. But I do think, yeah, I mean, we don't like the idea of dead bodies. I think, again, because they remind us too much of ourselves and our inevitable, the inevitable fact that we will all die. I think there is a such a rich history of death uh, and dead bodies and cultures too. And I, I'm reminded of uh, Zoroastrianism where they have the towers of silence because the when someone dies, their corpse has the, in their belief, the ability to contaminate things around it with um, the, the negative spirit, uh, for lack of a better term, called druge. And um, that, that can taint the living and um, not only allow in uh, kind of like evil forces or uh, Araman, you know, the, um, the um, bad, the, the, the opposer to uh, Ahura Mazda, the, the god, the main god that they worshipped. Not only does it allow that stuff in, but it also taints a, a person, makes them very unclean. So what they would do with mm-hmm. the bodies would take them up into uh, big towers that they were called Towers of Silence, and they would leave them out for the carrion yeah. to, um, to mm-hmm. pick at and clean. And so, like, as far back as Zoroastrianism, you know, we, we have all these different... Uh, rituals and things that we do to avoid dead bodies or to, you know, we place um, what we think is going on onto the dead bodies, the corpses. And that's how we, I mean, I mean, it's, that's just one culture. <laughs> There's so many different no, I think kinds. That's a good point. I think that just emphasizes this fact, right? That essentially monsters and the undead are about stories, right? I think that they're mm-hmm. both cautionary, but educational. So for me, it doesn't seem that far off that, yeah, there was this practical need to remove the corpse from where right. people were living and eating and trying to go about their lives. Um, so coming up with this mythology or these beliefs doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to me. Now, I know... I like the the practical yeah. part, yeah. Now, I know all our listeners are just screaming at us right now. They want us to talk about these flesh-eating <laughs> zombies. When did these guys come into the picture? Where did they come from? Can you trace any of this Ooh, back? Yeah. Is there a history to mm-hmm. any of this stuff? Uh, there's a history to everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but the short answer would be, although there are different, you know, mythologies and cultures like we've been talking about that have this idea of some kind of flesh eating undead, tying zombie as a reanimated corpse to flesh eater to flesh eating um, actually was Night of the Living Dead, George Romero. I kind of thought that. Yeah, he was the first one to show them on screen and to really, I like to call Romero the, um, like, the Brahm Stoker of zombies, right? It's like there were all these different threads of mythology that he sort of pulled together into one creature, but that it was so well done that we've adopted it as the primary example um, for zombies. And prior to that, like, movies like White Zombie and uh, I'm trying to think of some Mm -hmm. others, they were... The, White zombie, I walked with a zombie. Yeah, yeah. I am they were just the dead-eyed zombies that just kind of sat around kind of situation. I haven't seen they were, Yeah, they were Haitian zombies, essentially, right? I mean, a distortion of that, but they were believed to be people whose souls had been stolen. Um, yeah, then you go through. Then, of course, it's, you know, maybe there was a couple weird ones in the 50s uh, about, like, aliens controlling humans and making them zombies. But Romero was the first one to show on screen this idea of just random corpses popping up for no discernible reason who were then going to come and eat you. And it was terrifying. And for that, I thank him. It's such <laughs> the, the concept is because there's a never ending stream of, of, mm-hmm. of villains in, in this particular situation. And that makes it 
terrifying. You know, it, it, absolutely for every person that that your your opponent kills, you have mm-hmm. one more enemy. So these just yeah. they continue building. It's just a terrifying concept. And then you look mm-hmm. at things like I, I haven't seen the film, but I saw the trailer, World War Z, where they're yes. piled up on mm-hmm. top of each other like ants. Like, you just yeah. think about that. Like what are uh, you think about what living humans are capable of, and then yeah. you, you go beyond that and think, well, what if they're dead and, and moving around? What could they do? That's something I actually talk about in both the documentary Exhumed, A History of Zombies, and in the final YouTube video that's coming out on October 27th, is this idea that I think we see so many more zombies on screen, like in World War Z, or even in The Walking Dead, right? Because there are simply more people. Yeah on earth like we're dealing with overpopulation and i think that that's being reflected very strongly in zombie films where right even in night of the living dead you had like maybe 50 zombies at one time then it was like a couple hundred couple thousand and now it's millions and that jump i think really has to do with our fear both of the expanding world and the knowledge that we have and also the sheer volume of humans on that are you know threatening our limited resources and there's also a message there that kind of parallels what we're going through with this pandemic. Uh, you know, yeah. trust in other people, um, mm-hmm. just overall health and, and taking care of yourself in, in toilet paper, toilet paper, <laughs> shotguns. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I don't know if you guys have seen, but there's a lot of psychologists and some other scientists have been doing studies and consistently are showing that people who watch a lot of horror movies or read a lot of horror uh, were showing better preparedness, both physically and mentally, for the pandemic. Oh, I'm ready to go. And I've been watching horror <laughs> since I was born. Uh, I, I'm all set. <laughs> you and me both, yeah. <laughs> I would love a book on all the different kind of turns to where um, folklore has has taken a point of having the culture and the folklore associated with it and then someone comes along and like you were saying bram stoker Mm -hmm. writes something um and or george romero comes along and then there's that boom now all of a sudden that's everybody's concept concept of it you know like now vampirism kind of ties back to what uh stoker wrote about Mm -hmm. Now, zombies, uh, people think of Romero's, even um, probably we were talking about the Wendigo. And I, I think if I'm trying to think of the guy who wrote that poem, Algernon Blackman, maybe. Oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. At, <sighs> at, like even even stuff like that, there's it seems like there is a certain point where we get a culmination of culture and folklore and then someone takes it and synthesizes it into one thing. And then from then on, everybody's kind of got that concept in their head. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. And to be honest, I think I'm guilty of, of doing that. And I, probably all four of us are that, you know, we hear things. Well, probably not Dr. Probably not Dr. Z. I'm sure she actually researches. <laughs> when, <laughs> she when knows we throw she our did. stuff out there like, well, you know, this one person said it had horns. So now it has you know, in this account, it has horns and you get three of those and suddenly this thing has horns and uh, it was just a, a made up or uh, a misremembered fact or not. That's what happened with the Wendigo yeah. is yeah. that people think that it yeah. has stag horns because of one movie um, when there's no mm. evidence in any of at least the research I did that that existed. Algernon, I learned that from your show. Actually. Algernon Blackwood. <laughs> Ring a bell? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Blackwood. Yeah. Blackwood. That's about the feet on fire running so fast, right? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, actually, oh, sure. speaking of running so fast, I've got something for the entire table real quick. Uh, fast moving zombies. I mean, human speed moving zombies yeah. or slow sluggish zombies. I go with I prefer the slow sluggish ones because I feel it's 10 times mm. more terrifying. And the running ones just I'm like, I, I don't get it. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with our guest next. Dr. Z, which do you prefer? <laughs> Ooh, prefer. I don't think I prefer (laughs) one more than the other. I think personally, the fast moving ones, which I um, call rage zombies, subset of the pandemic (laughs) zombie. um, I think that they are the scariest to me. And I think part of the reason is because there's this idea that it's so inevitable that they're too strong, too fast. There's too many that maybe you can outrun the slower moving ones, but those fast ones (laughs) are coming at you and there's something about that and the idea that the body isn't decaying or at least not quickly enough that I find additionally eerie. 
Uh, Derek and David, what about you two? Well, I'd prefer not to encounter any zombies <laughs> if I'm honest, but uh, I, I guess I would rather the slow ones. I feel like I'd have a better chance at survival. Uh, but there's there's a small part of me that's like, man, it'd be really exciting to have all these fast zombies running around, like <laughs> for about ten yeah. minutes, and then be like, okay, guys, you got it, yeah. you got to stop. Yeah. Just give me a break. Yeah. Just ten seconds. Cramp, cramp. <laughs> yeah. Cramp. No, I think of zombie land, right? One of the primary rules is like yeah. cardio, cardio. You know, so you can actually. <laughs> right, I'm with Doctor Zarka. I like if if you put a slow moving zombie, even a horde of them there's a chance you can get away or like finagle your way out of the situation. The world war Z zombies, that's terrifying. Like in, even when you like shoot them or yeah. chop them up or whatever, they're still coming and yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> you know, while we're on the subject of zombies, weirdly enough, uh, what is everyone's favorite zombie film? I, I'm just kind of curious. Um, I've been trying to think of mine this whole time and I'll, I'll start I got to say it's probably 28 days later would probably be mine. Uh, I I might change that as I come up with, with other ones that I've watched, but that's, uh, that's one of the big ones. Uh, Dr. Z, what, what, what's one that sticks out to you the most? Uh, Good. I'm glad you're asking me that question instead of favorite. Cause I don't think I have a favorite. (laughs) I group them so differently now. I think my favorite zombie movie I've seen in the last 10 years would probably, would be trained to Busan, hands down. Oh, I haven't seen that one. You need to watch it. Everyone listening should watch Train to Busan. It's fantastic. It's a South Korean um, zombie film that's basically set on a moving train. And it has all of the elements that I love about a good horror movie that, you know, the living or the real threat, but there's enough scares and zombie creepiness that it's still such a fun watch. But I think so smart, beautiful cinematography, highly recommend there's actually a werewolf film hmm. with the same premise. It's a some sort of bullet train through Europe, and there's a werewolf oh, on board. Really? Yeah. Ooh, I'll check that out. Silver uh, bullet train. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for the evening. Um, yeah, I don't know what that one was called. I, I saw it on like Hulu or something. I, I haven't watched it yet, but I yeah. saw the the trailer. I think mine would probably be, and this is probably a cop out, but I, I've I always enjoy Shaun of the Dead. Oh, good so good. One. Yes. Um, I'm going to cop out with, uh, David here and go with Shaun of the Dead as well. Though, um, I, 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 okay. I'll point this out. Zombies are not like my top of the list of like scary movie stuff. I thought that like I said the serpent rainbow is interesting. Cause it wasn't, well, it wasn't even the right type of zombie for what it was supposed to be, but it was something a little bit different. Um, but and I know I'm going to hit Dr. Z with this one. Uh, I re- actually remember as a kid too watching Scooby Doo and Zombie Island, and that yes. was honestly the first one I can think of that I watched as a kid. And because you mentioned it on your episode, yeah, because I I honestly can't remember which one I saw first, Night of the Living Dead or Scooby Doo on Zombie Island. But that movie, maybe that's where I am where I am today, because that movie left such an impression on me. Because weren't they also like cat yeah. people who were making yeah, zombies? Yeah, there was some weird yes. food I haven't seen in years, but I did pull up like a brief summary just because I was like. I'm going to take a look and it's like said yeah. cat people. I'm like, yeah, this is definitely what I'm remembering. This is it. This is a real deep dive into my personal history. But the thing <laughs> that absolutely scared me more than that was the freaking Archie's Weird Mysteries episode with the potatoes that turn people into basically zombies. What? That's, Yes. They're like creepy space potatoes and they grow out their little like spud arms and latch onto you and make you like a puppet. Uh, And I still can't look at a sprouting potato to this day without being completely freaked out. Huh. Wow. Fun facts. Interesting. (laughs) Speaking of fun facts, I noticed that all four of us picked foreign films. Is there any, is there anything? (laughs) I'm a film guy. I went to film school. So is there anything in that is there a lacking in zombie films in the u.s oh definitely not um well lacking in quality quality Uh, you want me to honestly answer that (laughs) yes well yeah i mean this is an honest (laughs) but like like, like i said i'm not a super big zombie like the reason i like um shawn of the dead is because it's a mock it's mocking that stuff i mean like i said zombies are okay but i'm not like somebody that's like ooh zombie film so i know i'm probably the odd man out in this situation 
Yeah. I don't seek zombie films out. I like mm. them. World War Z would be an American zombie film, right? And yeah. Zombie Land. I, sure. But. Darn, I forgot about Zombie Land. I'm like, Zombie Land was, fun. once again, I like the humor of it, of the situation more so mm. than, like, I don't know. I just don't, I don't know. With Zombie Land, I, I look at it I would, as this is a great film, but it's not a great zombie film. Does that make any mm-hmm. sense? Yes, I would. Yeah. yeah, it's a great comedy, but it's not a mm-hmm. great zombie. I wouldn't it's even say zombie comedy. It is for about zombie. half of it. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would love to to get a more true to the book World War Z movie. I still need to read that. Yeah, I you do. really do need to read that. I read his other book, the um. The evolution, mm-hmm. which was phenomenal. I haven't oh, read that one yet, but I did have a chance good. to meet Max Brooks um, and actually talk to him oh. about Monstrum oh, when nice. it was first starting out, which was amazing. And he's actually really cool and nice. Um, so that's always fun when you meet like famous people and you're like, oh, you're actually like an okay person. So he was great. Um, but the zombie, yeah, you need to read World War Z. I think you need to approach, I think the book is good and I think the movie are good. But they're not the same. Oh, I've, I've already heard that. That's why I want to go at the book because I feel like I'd enjoy that more. Like I said, his other book was phenomenal. And yeah. Yeah. Looks great. Well, on that note, uh, gentlemen, is there anything else we wanted to cover before we uh, cut our guest loose for the evening? I mean, talking about monsters, I, yeah, we, we could we go all night. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I just saw a pause and I saw it's an hour. I thought maybe I'd at least mention it. <laughs> but why stop now? <laughs> no, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us, Doctor Zarka. This has been yes. great. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to come back on and chat more monsters or the uh, I, yes. I someone on my side. Retired someone Meg. on my side. <laughs> we've had a, we've had a string of pretty terrible movies. Uh, we've been doing this for like a year or so, and and we did uh, the man that killed Hitler, and then the Bigfoot. <laughs> Which didn't okay. go over well. The Meg didn't go over well. La Llorona didn't go over oh. well. Which La Llorona? Uh, the American. Oh, not yeah, the, good not the good one. Yeah. The Curse of La Llorona is absolute trash. Yeah. But the one on Shudder is good. <laughs> we should have watched that one. I've heard that. Yeah. I've heard that. Oh, so yeah. Uh, there, there is one more ahead, thing. Justin. Back to the um, rainbow, the serpent in the rainbow. Um, so David, I'm surprised you didn't point out the like people getting like tossed from one side of the room to the other. My gosh, there was, there was a lot of, lot of tossing going on. And that, uh, the dude, the main bad guy, he leapt twice at the end. Like he just (laughs) zoom. He's like Barracuda through the air at the Bill Pullman. I did make a note of that. Actually, he's probably five foot three and just tossing Bill Pullman from one side of the room to the other. I, I, sorry. I had to mention that because when we said La La I remembered, oh yeah, punting the kid out the door. Yeah. Gotta mention, yeah. like, yeah. was there any brutal tossing around? My favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right. Well, on that note, thank you so much, Doctor Z, for stopping by. Um, thank you so much for having me. We, man, we had a good time with this. Uh, usually, it's just us complaining about yeah, movies, sure but we actually have somebody in here with some information, <laughs> so it's really, it's really a good time. It's true. So thank you. Glad I could help. All right, gentlemen. Uh, well, this has been yet another night at the round table. I have been Derek Hayes. I've been David Flora, and I've been Justin Zinger. Have a good night.